You know, as uh, the time for this message approached, and uh, the world uh, is in the state that it's in, and uh, the violence is spreading, and the, the, the killing of George Floyd, and all of that, um, I, I thought, do I need to rewrite this message to address all of this upheaval? Um, in the end, I decided I did not need to rewrite this message for a few reasons. First of all, if this is truly the message of the gospel and the word of God, it will address it. It will be right for all points of time. And, and there, in fact, are some moments. Uh, second, I thought, what would I put in such a message that hasn't always been a part of our preaching that you haven't always heard week in and week out, that in the church and the kingdom of Jesus Christ, there is no place for racism, and that the people of, as a people of God, we should seek nonviolent solutions to whatever our problems are, that community and a strong God is an answer. It's the only answer, um, that we must always seek justice, uh, that those who have power should wield it for the good of all and for the kingdom and never to, to hold anyone back. These are always been parts of our messages. We also have to honor what God has already done. We support the Hope Center, that such an important inner city ministry. We sought guidance from them this week about uh, uh, which protests we wanted to participate in and which ones we didn't. We went where uh, the black community was. We went where uh, the people of Christ were, were participating and we got to participate in that way and they guided, guided us and led us in how to do that. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge, you know, no one's done more for uh, black youth in our city here in Lee Summit than, than Kylie Ewing and her husband, Officer Andy Ewing, um, who started the Prodeo Youth Center and, uh, and it, it serves uh, African-American youth in our community well. So we also must acknowledge what God is already doing and who he's already using and how we have an opportunity to support that and be a part of that. These things are so, so important. So we're gonna continue in the Gospel of Mark. I mean, it will be as true now as it was three months ago. Gospel of Mark chapter 14, not eight hours ago, Peter swore that he would not be doing this. We're in chapter 14, verse 66. Peter promised this wasn't going to happen. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself by the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out to the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. So Jesus has been arrested. He's standing right over there. Peter has snuck in to see what's happening. A little servant girl recognizes him and he says, oh, not me. I don't know who that is over there. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're Galilean. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Jesus is standing over there and he's being pressed by a former high priest of Israel and he is keeping his composure. Peter's standing over here uh, being pressured by a little servant girl and he's coming completely apart. He swore that wouldn't happen. Think of all the things we swore we'd never do. 
Started when we were really young with that most innocent of all promises. Mommy and daddy, I'll never move away. I'll live with you forever. <laughs> yeah, we all said that, but that's an innocent one. But the older we got, the more serious those promises became. I'll never ignore my friends because of some boy or some girl. If you're my age or younger, remember when you graduated from the D.A.R.E. program? You made a little skit about how you'd say no and, and you'd never use drugs or you'd never use alcohol. We tell ourselves now that we didn't mean it. We were just playing along. But go back in time and ask that kid standing up there with that diploma if they're just playing along. The older we got, the more serious the promises got. I'll never be greedy. I'll never compromise just so I can have a bigger house or a nicer car. I'll never abandon my hobbies and the things that I love. I'll be true to myself. We'll be friends forever. To have and to hold from this day forward until death do us part. When I have kids, I won't yell and go ballistic and scare them like that. I'll never be in debt. I don't need all that stuff. I won't spend more than I make. When I'm old, I won't just sit around watching television and napping. God, that's the last time I'm going to do that. I'm never going to do that again. There are even promises we made to Jesus. Some of us swore to never leave him, to love him forever, to have him always be the center of our life because he first loved us. Others of us made the opposite promise, right? We promised never to need him. We said, oh, come on, I can be generous. I can be righteous without you. I don't need some God or church to have purpose and direction. You watch, I'll be just fine. I got this. This morning, the rooster is crowing. Where are you standing? Were you able to keep those promises? Do you even know how you got here? What must God think of us? Some of us made promises to him we did not keep. Others made a big production about how amazing our life was going to be without him. What's God doing now? Is he crying because of how we turned out? Is he fuming with anger? Is he laughing like I told you so? Does he even notice us at all? The important part of our text this morning isn't what Peter did, and it isn't what Peter didn't do. That's actually not the important part of the story, that, that he lied and said he didn't know who Jesus was, or he didn't stand up like he said he would. Uh, the important part of the story isn't even what Peter remembers. You know, he remembers that Jesus said, oh, Peter, you'll deny me three times given half a chance. The important part of this story this morning is what Peter forgets. And it's what we've all forgotten. Jesus only said it eight hours ago. It was only 39 verses ago. It's in the same chapter we're in. We preached it in this room just a few months ago. Let me read it again. Here's the verse where Jesus says, you'll all deny me. And then Peter says, oh, I never will. And Jesus says, you'll do it three times before the cock crows twice. We're back in verse 27. 
On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you into Galilee and meet you there. He predicts their total betrayal. He says, every single one of you will fall away. The book says you will, and you will. And then I'll be raised from the dead, and I'll go ahead of, Gal- go, go ahead of you into Galilee, and I'll meet you there. He blows past the betrayal and the broken promises so easily, so completely, that we missed it and forgot he ever said it. That his mission doesn't depend on our loyalty. That his mission doesn't depend on the disciples' bravery. That his mission doesn't depend on Peter doing the right thing or it's not going to work. God the Father and Christ the Son are accomplishing the entire mission by themselves. The whole thing. And they're including you and I in it. Whether we kept our promises or not. In fact, they knew beforehand that we would not. And there's no, well, I told you so. And there's no, now there's going to be a price to pay for that betrayal. And then we'll start in. You'll all betray me. Just as the word says. And then I'll be raised from the dead. And I'll see you in Galilee. You know what that is? That's grace. That's amazing grace. Grace is a gift we did not deserve. And we all just got it. And grace is everything. Without grace, there's no hope. Without grace, there's no coming back. Without grace, there's no going home. Without grace, there's no second chance. There's no fresh start. Now, you know there's no law that said that we had to have a gracious God. There there was nothing in the universe that said God had to be gracious. We could have had a just God. We could have had a God that said, okay, so you're all working overtime in the world to push me out of as much of your society as you can and do as much of this without me and to to silence me as much as you can. Okay, okay. Let's see your amazing world you're going to make because it's going to be so much better without God. Oh, okay. Well, look around. Isn't this a a fine world? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, as God, he could say, well, I could punish you for that, or I could just step back and let you destroy yourself since you're intent upon doing that, and this is, seems to be the world you wanted. That's a just God. You can't argue with that. It makes sense. It makes so much sense to us. A lot of us think that's how God is. Except it's not the God we have. We have a gracious God. He sent Jesus to reveal himself because he knew how hard we'd find it to believe there's such a thing as a gracious God. So we could see it with our own eyes, played right out here on the earth among us. And he sent the Holy Spirit who gave us this word and kept this word for us because he knew we'd forget and we'd have to read again that he said, oh, you'll all betray me. It said that uh, since before Jesus was born. And then I'll be raised from the dead and I'll see you in Galilee. When my mom passed away this last fall, there was no place to have a funeral for her in Texas because my mom did not have a church home in Texas. 
She would come up here and visit us, and she would come to Lakeland, and she'd say, man, if I had a church like that where I live, I would go to it. But she didn't. I'm really not sure she ever looked. And I wonder, did I not share my faith enough with her? But actually, I don't wonder. I know I did not share my faith enough with her. And I wonder, did she not see all that Christ had done for me and all he had done for my life and such that it made it attractive and she thought, I want to have that too? Well, I wasn't around enough for her to see that. So her funeral was going to be held on her property in her front yard underneath her favorite tree. That's not as quaint as it sounds. My mom was kind of a hoarder. In her front yard, the front porch was rotted off the house. There were cars and boats and campers and ATVs stacked everywhere. Weeds and scrubby grass and fallen trees. Empty bird feeders, empty flower pots. The gravel driveway was so washed out that a ditch had formed that could bottom out a pickup truck if you didn't navigate it just right. That, that was going to be the scene of my mom's memorial. My stepdad was supposed to try to do something with the yard and then call us when it was ready for the service. But he was deep in a paralyzing depression. They had been together for more than 20 years. He just couldn't do it. It was getting to be a month since my mom had passed and there was no date set. So now I was finally going to show up. Finally going to go home and do all the things I didn't do along the way. Thankfully, some dear friends from Lakeland volunteered to go with us to help us, Jody and Lisa and Chris. Plan was that we'd arrive early and we'd clean and we'd cut and we'd prune and we'd prepare to say goodbye to mom. After a rainy night, we rolled up at 8 in the morning to find it was all done. My uncle, my mother's brother, had gone ahead of us, and he'd he'd been there the entire week, and the front porch was rebuilt. And the cars and the campers and the boats were rolled discreetly away and the grass was evenly mowed and he'd, he'd trimmed all the trees and sawed and branches and it was ready for the ceremony. The empty flower pots were even filled. And he'd taken a pickaxe because in my younger days, my uncle had built the railroads across Missouri, Kansas, and Texas. And he'd leveled that drive and filled in that ditch by hand. All we had to do was set up the altar, put out the wooden chairs we'd rented, and then walk around the property and the farm in peace, waiting for the mourners to arrive. When they arrived, and as the first song started, butterflies swarmed in and filled that tree. This is what waits for us in Christ Jesus. That our brother, Jesus, has gone ahead of us and he's already prepared the way. I mean, 
He is the son of God and he is fully God, but he is also fully human. To the human race, he is our brother. And he's gone ahead of us into Galilee and he's waiting for us there and all the preparations that we should have made but didn't and wanted to make but couldn't. He's made them. And he doesn't have a thing to say to us except receive my Holy Spirit. Now you go and make disciples of all nations and grace and peace to you. As easy as it sounds, all you have to do is walk out of here today or there in your own home is receive him and follow him into Galilee where it's all been prepared for you. That's why this church, all churches of Christ are the place where marriages are reformed and healed. They're the place where careers are rebuilt or new ones are found. They're they're the, the place where you're encouraged to make the changes, to beat the addiction, to heal the old wounds, to be healed of sickness, to make the changes we want to make in our community, in our world, to change our minds and change our hearts. He's prepared all of this, all that we thought we wanted. He has it for us. Now, for those of you who have already been on this journey and know what grace is, uh, think for a moment about your family. Think for a moment about your coworkers, your boss, your customers. Think about your friends and your neighbors. Did they keep all their promises? How amazed are they going to be to learn that Christ, our brother, has already been raised and has gone ahead of them to their Galilee and has prepared what they want and they need. He's already there waiting for them. You know, summer, fall, sometime in there, there's probably going to be a a, a women's ministry fun night again. The men are going to do Man Food Monday tomorrow night. Maybe your friend or your neighbor or your coworker would like to be invited to that as a way to kind of ease into this church thing. Church scares some people. Maybe they'd like to meet some of your friends in the community. Say, other than the pastor, that they're not as weird as I expected. There has to be a way, right? There has to be some way for them to experience the amazing love of God and this gift of grace from Jesus Christ. Let's pray for them this morning. Let's pray for them this morning and let's pray for ourselves that we would have an opportunity to share this good news, to share this invitation. Look at all these uh, empty seats because we all have to be distanced, right? We all have to be spread out. But over time, these are going to fill in. Who's going to be sitting in them next to you a month from now? And let's recognize that God has already gone ahead of us in their life as well. So that this conversation that we're afraid will be awkward may actually be met with, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that too. I wonder if God's calling me. Who, who in a few weeks may you be standing out on the sidewalk wondering if today's the day they actually get the courage it takes to show up? Today might be the day they get to experience the amazing grace of Jesus Christ and the new life he already has prepared. Amen.